Hello, Medicine Review, episode 62 for May 8th, Monday. It is 8 o'clock central time. You are listening to the only podcast in the world. Who has the last live episode for episode 62? We're going up to the, uh, up to the, starting with the upload model for the remaining of the summer. Possibly back live in October. That's the plan, anyway. If you'd like to call in for the last live episode, you are more than welcome to 602-753-3005. 602-753-3005. This song you're hearing here is the same song for the last episode, and I forgot to give credit. So I'm going to give double credit this time. This song is done by Kevin McLeod. This song is done by Kevin McLeod. That's twice. And you can find out his website at Incompetech.com. Again, that's Incompetech.com. And you can check out his website for royalty-free music and rap paper. And over these last 62 episodes, I used quite a bit of different songs to open with. And as a reminder, I'm going to the upload model. Because uh, there's so much to do. And it just makes more sense for the summer months. The reason why I started with the live show, anyway... Oh, look at that, it just stopped. The, uh... I started with the... Stopped with the... Or I started with the, uh... Live show model, so I'm reading... While I'm talking here. Oh, uh, just because I've been planning... I was planning on doing a... News type show for quite a while. And procrastination kept... Holding it back and back, so I thought I'd start with the... Or hit the ground with my feet. Running. However that phrase goes. And, uh... I'm also looking forward to doing the upload type shows. And I'll be doing those at least once a week. And let's go. Through the last few... Or the last 62 episodes... I didn't use an opening song for all of them, probably not for the first few, but I had a, let's just go through no no particular order here. We had uh, this as an intro song once. White Male Remix by Placeboy. That was a favorite for a while. We had, uh, 
Oppressive Gloom by Kevin McLeod. I think I opened up the uh, show that Donald Trump won on, or the first show since Donald Trump won with this. Thought it'd be a triggering kind of song for people that were scared of him becoming president. We had Moonlight Hall by Kevin McLeod. I used this song for a while. Wagon Wheel by Kevin McLeod. Got quite a bit of use as well. Oh, we can't forget. The kinds of kids that are called super predators. We super have predators. To heal. Super predators. Another one no by Placeboy. Placeboy has a website or a channel on YouTube you can check out. And vid.me. It's got a ton of songs. I'm not, I haven't been playing the more popular ones that he has. String Disco by Kevin McLeod. We got a variety of songs here. After Donald Trump won, some lighter songs to reach out to the uh, triggered uh, left-wingers here. Like Heartbreaking by Kevin McLeod. They use this during an episode where I was reading off some of the, the heartbreaking tweets uh, celebrities are talking about. There's another one, Touching Moments by Kevin McLeod. You can probably feel very touched when you listen to this. It's uh, hopefully a consentful touch, that is. Um, we have Parting of the Ways by Kevin McLeod. Another tearjerker here. And we have... This one. Might have used this one the, the most, I'm not sure. I used, I used this one for a while. Shorter one. And there's Spyglass. The song that I like to do all my investigative stories to. I guess. <laughs> Maybe I should start anyway. I already did that one. Amazing Plan by Kevin McLeod. I use that one a lot. And then, this one, I need to look up his, his YouTube channel, it's hard to remember, but this is the Mortal Kombat 3, The Prayer Song by Razzie K. See, this is easier than for me doing a clip show for the last live episodes. I don't, I don't prepare for any of my episodes much anyway, so it's easier for me to just press buttons on a soundboard. I like that, I use this one for breaks. Where am I at? 
searching for files on my computer. It's a perfect thing to be doing during a live show. Whatever, it's my show, I'll do what I want. It's not like anybody's calling in to stop me, and if you'd like to call in, the number here is 602-753-3005, Your last episode to do so, probably at least until October anyway, well, Grazzy.K's website is youtube.com forward slash r-a-i-s-i-m-1222. And Professor Umlaut by Kevin McLeod. What will I use for episode 63? Nobody knows. Uh, anyway, back to uh, news. I think that's what this show is about, if I remember. Um, big stories over the weekend. We, there's the massive uh, email leak from Macron, or just Macron, or whatever whatever his name is. Um, and then the election, where it was seen as kind of tight in the polls. Macron was... A little bit ahead of Le Pen, and it turns out Macron wins, wins rather, uh, in a landslide. So, uh, and a couple of stories on that, of course. Now, as far as the leaks go, there was a media blackout in France about it. I think there usually is. Oh, maybe 48 hours until voting. So they were ordered not to report on a lot of these emails. And, and actually, I didn't read a lot. Uh, there were so many emails. There's, I don't know how many gigabytes, but imagine it would take a while to go through all of those. So uh, if he uh, secures his position, it will be too late anyway. It might turn uh, into uh, something that will will be his uh, or will, will result in his early release. I have really have no idea. I can take a quick do a quick search online and see if there have been any revelations since the email leak on Friday. See if there's any. Recent articles on Google News. I don't recommend uh, Google News for front page headlines or anything. They seem to be pretty, pretty biased or just heavily slanted towards Washington Post and New York Times articles. I think I did that one time where I just counted on the front page of how many articles were New York Times or Washington Post. A couple other ones in the mix. Of course, people are saying that it's it's Russia and all this stuff. It, it, just the uh, the automatic response if uh, emails came out. Oh, it must have been Russia. I was hearing that rhetoric as soon as it came out. Uh, I, 
the very first headlines, I, I think, or the very first stories that were coming out were saying it was a Russian hack. There's an article on Wired, I see, with a headline. Article posted seven hours ago, don't pin Macron email hack on Russia just yet. Another one from 14 hours ago, Macron hackers linked to Russia-affiliated group behind U.S. attack. So I could waste a whole episode diving into those articles, but it's usually always the same. Uh, Just some pretty weak circumstantial evidence, whether it was Russia or not. Uh, It just seems to be more sensationalism. Uh, Russia is a big buzzword for news, and it helps many on the left make sense of uh, election results that they aren't comfortable with, I think, when they think there's a enemy behind the lines here tinkering with things. So I won't get into uh, those email hacks yet. I might dive into that a little bit more. Maybe I'll make an episode about that if anything comes out. Or if there are any major revelations in the emails, I'm sure if there are, uh, there will be more stories about how Russia hacked the emails and what the content of the emails actually are. Much like we see with the... uh, U.S. side of things with Clinton. Now, of course, the conservative media outlets, they actually read the content of the emails. The other ones, the Washington Post and New York Times, uh, they spent more time talking about Russians. Now, the email leaks for Macron are on archive.is forward slash lowercase e, uppercase q, then lowercase T-R-M. And they have links to torrent files. So, I'll leave 4chan or France. Or 4chan users in France to go through those. As far as the election results, uh, I was listening to... I I do have a couple things. There is a Breakdown, now it's just percentage-wise, it's not actual numbers, I couldn't find numbers on the, or there's the Financial Times, um, I'm getting blocked out of the Financial Times right now, um, they were just going over more of demographics, demographic type information on the election results, I'll skip past that, I don't need Financial Times to finish the show. And I'm not going to subscribe to them. I could, well, I could just use a different browser, but I don't really care. Uh, apparently, well, according to an article, an older article on the local.fr, and I'm taking this from the headline, French voters explained how the 47 million will vote or not. So obviously this is before the election, but they count 47 million. And the interesting stats I heard 
But I couldn't find the exact numbers on is, is the millions here who actually voted. And this I got from a Nigel Farage's show. He was going over the numbers. Uh, his numbers total out. I get well according to this article on the local fr. There are forty-seven million people eligible to vote. Uh, and then Nigel Farage goes on to say eighteen million or eighteen plus million voted for Macron. Eleven plus million voted for Le Pen. So you can see like there's a pretty huge margin there. I think it was. He won by a 20-something point lead. And a significant amount of people did not vote. 10 million people didn't vote. And interesting, uh, the most interesting here is uh, 4 million, and this is Nigel Farage's words, spoiled their ballot. So meaning they either wrote something else on the ballot, left it blank, or ripped it in half. So a significant amount of people, and a significant percentage, maybe 12% or whatever, stood in line to vote just to uh, deface their ballot somehow or, or not put anything else on it or outright destroy it, it seems. So it could be a lot of people, a lot of far-left people. It's speculated, given that Macron is seen as a centrist, goal, uh, globalist, or, or whatever, and Le Pen far-right. So, yeah, a total... I think that only totals out to like 44 million or something like that. The other times says, or the other article says 47 million. Um, so I don't know the exact numbers. And I tried to find those, I couldn't find it. But it doesn't matter. The election's over. I don't think it's contested that Macron won. Not with a margin that huge. So let's get into some other stuff, some US stuff. And this is an article. I've been seeing some headlines on and actually didn't read it myself. I meant to, well, I set it aside meaning to get to it later, so I'll just read it live on the show. And this is an article on Breitbart. It's the one I have saved. Exclusive, Rand Paul says Obama administration may have spied on his campaign. That's an article from Friday by Christina Wong on Breitbart. Com. Senator Rand Paul on Friday told Breitbart News that several sources have told him that the Obama administration spied on his presidential campaign. So echoing a little bit of what Trump uh, said on Twitter or implied on Twitter. Uh, read a little bit more from the article here. Quote, we had had several people come to us and say it happened. That it happened. I don't have access to that information, but I've been very concerned that too many Americans' information is being called through, uh, through without a warrant, he told Breitbart News. I don't have any facts to say it happened, he said, but numerous sources are coming to us and saying it did happen, so I want to search through. 
Find out why I wasn't notified. Was it on purpose? Continuing on here with a the quote, there are, uh, there's a lot of things to find out, particularly since we found out that Susan Rice was unmasking people and we need to know was their political motivation because one of the real dangers in a free society is if the government gets so powerful it's listening to all of our phone calls, the possibility of extortion, the possibility of blackmail, all of that goes through us exponentially. Earlier that day, Paul revealed that he had requested information from the White House and intelligence community on whether he was surveilled by Obama or the Obama administration or the intelligence community. And he, they show a tweet here from 8.12 a.m. on Friday, last Friday, uh, from Rand Paul. I have formally requested, to, uh, formally requested from the White House and the intel committee's info on whether I was surveilled by the Obama admin and or the intel community, exclamation mark. Paul said at a Cato Institute speech later that he was sending a new letter Friday morning. Quote, we we have several sources telling us that members of the Obama administration were looking at politicians, particularly who were running for office, he said. Paul said he never received a, quote, Gates notification, which Congress is supposed to receive if any intelligence community reveals the identity of a lawmaker in a national security agency attempt. He said in a new letter he was specifically, or he was asking specifically rather, whether there was a Gates notification for him. He said that he's heard from people specific aspects of private conversation he had with President Obama. Uh, Article goes on more and more and more. So pretty interesting. I can't wait to see what comes out of this. If anything, hopefully something will come out of it. It won't be a story that gets swept under the rug. Like this next story that I caught and I think pretty much got swept under the rug by the mainstream media here. Although, you know what, I'll do a quick search and see if I'm wrong. But here's a article on the gatewaypundit.com. Loretta Lynch busted. Leaked email shows she would do anything she could to protect Hillary from criminal charges. An article by Jim Hoft from last Friday. Leaked email show Loretta Lynch would do anything she could to protect Hillary Clinton from criminal charges. So... Here is a video on YouTube from Fox News. And I believe this is a Catherine Herridge. Let's see what she has to say. Going. All right, Catherine, there are new accusations against the former attorney general. 
I think this is one of the most significant headlines to come out of the hearing today. Uh, and for some context, it's because there's an ongoing Justice Department Inspector General's investigation into the actions of then Attorney General Loretta Lynch, as well as the FBI director and his closest aides during the election period. What we heard today for the first time were details about a document that related to Attorney General Loretta Lynch that had been obtained by Russian hackers and that the document indicated that Lynch would do whatever it took to prevent criminal charges from being brought against Hillary Clinton in the email probe. Let's listen. The New York Times recently reported that the FBI had found a troubling email among the ones the Russians hacked from Democrat. This is a Chuck Grassley from Iowa. Operatives. The email reportedly provided assurances that Attorney General Lynch would protect Secretary Clinton by making sure the FBI investigation, quote unquote, didn't go too far. How and when did you first learn of this document? Also, who sent it? and who received it? That's not a question I can answer in this forum, Mr. Chairman, because it would call for a classified response. And that was uh, James Comey there, not answering the question, saying that he can't for classification reasons. On several of the questions related to Loretta Lynch, the FBI director said he couldn't uh, discuss it in an open, unclassified uh, setting. Uh, but there was certainly a strong indication from the FBI director that he felt in light of this document, as well as this Arizona tarmac meeting with Loretta Lynch and former President Bill Clinton uh, in late June of last year. In, in his words, this was really the capper for him, and he felt he had no choice but to go public when there was the decision to close the Clinton email investigation. There was kind of a theme today that the FBI director in his testimony portrayed himself as being boxed in by Lynch and kind of a victim of circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, but that really didn't wash uh, with Republicans who were on the committee who felt that the FBI director did something extraordinary at the end of last year, that he really overreached, that his principal job is as an investigator, not a prosecutor. And he put his prosecutor's hat on when there was a decision not to go after Hillary Clinton for mishandling a class information and then also not to pursue criminal charges for Huma Abedin and Anthony Weiner now that he has said publicly that there were hundreds of classified emails found on his home computer Sandra so interesting stuff there uh, of course laws broken by uh, people who will most likely not get charged that's how it typically goes if you're an enemy of the state uh, they'll lock you up for less than that whatever they can get you on so laws for some not for others speaking of uh, leaked emails I have a second leak email story today which I thought was kind of funny I don't know if it's true US federal staff being forced to watch Fox News instead of CNN leaked email suggests. This is the article from The Independent by Narhas Zafet or Zatat, I, I rather. 
An email has been sent to the staff at the Food and Drug Administration announcing that all their agencies' televisions will show Fox News, apparently by order of the Trump administration. Uh, right off the bat, this article just sounds funny. Can they? Do they? Their TVs over there? Do they not have channel buttons? Not really sure what the policy for uh, televisions is at the FDA. Um, this article seems to suggest that they can be forced to watch a channel. But I'll continue on. Journalist. Paul Thacker tweeted a screen grab of the message, but an FDA spokesperson denied there had been any such order. It reads, Please excuse me for sending uh, this out to your entire group via your listserv. I'm not sure what a listserv is, but I'll continue on. <clears throat> but I was alerted by a member in your group, and I wanted to let everyone know that the reason for the change from CNN to Fox and they show a little piece of an email here that looks like it was in included on a tweet from WO Digital Display uh, sent on May 3rd to CBER researchers subject attention regards to the news on monitors at your locations. And the email says, Good morning, CBER researchers. Please excuse me for sending this out to your entire group via your listserv, list but I was alerted by a member in your group, and I wanted to let everyone know that the reason for the change from CNN to Fox. So I, I guess just, that sentence just reads weird to me, but I'll go on anyway. The reason for the change is that a decision from the current administration, administrative officials has requested that all monitors you under our control on White Oak Campus display Fox News. Sorry for the inconvenience, but I am unable to change any of the monitors to any other news source at this time. So, uh, I'm not sure. I guess it changed it from CNN to Fox. Uh, it, it's worrying that it was on CNN in the first place. It's a matter of opinion if you think Fox is better, but seems odd that they have some kind of uh, <laughs> propaganda playing in the workplace. So I'll see if there's anything else in this article worth noting. An FDA spokesperson denied people had been ordered to watch Fox News, telling Think Progress, quote, there was no directive or memorandum from the administration that went out to employees about broadcast news channels displaying on monitors in common areas throughout FDA's White Oak campus. However, an anonymous CBER employee told BuzzFeed News that, quote, a lot of staff were very upset about the change. Another FDA staff member went further, expressing fear that a right-wing news source playing in our halls dot 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 will drive away some people on the left who are already suspicious about the FDA being a shill for big pharma okay uh, I don't know why right wing people wouldn't would like that <laughs> FDA being a shill for big pharma it seems to me that both parties are just uh, a-okay with that almost 7,000 comments on Yahoo News 
<laughs> top comment here by Benjamin. Imagine the outrage if President Obama had demanded that all TV monitors be set to BET. So it's uh, it sounds like a good late night kind of joke, late night show kind of joke. If they all didn't just uh, rip on Trump now. Um, another one saying censorship is just the beginning. So here's somebody here's somebody saying fascism should be more properly called corporatism for it's a measure of state and corporate power. Another person saying, why are they watching TV at work? <laughs> cruel, and another one saying, calling it cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, I don't know, I, why would an organization have an official news channel to begin with? The story sounds uh, strange to me and uh, seems to be lacking some information there. So, I'm not going to base or cast too much judgment based on a email, I guess, and, and some contradicting sources. There's an article on Reuters titled, North Korea Detains Another American Citizen, KCNA Reports, article by Ju Min Park. North Korea said on Sunday it has detained another U.S. citizen and Suspicion of hostile attack or hostile acts across the state. So if you're not familiar, they detained a U.S. citizen about two weeks ago, if I remember correctly. Continuing on the article, make him the fourth American to be held by the isolated country amid heightened diplomatic tensions with Washington. Kim Hak Song, who worked for Pyongyang University, of science and technology was detained on Saturday by or the North's KCNA news agency said or the the news agency said a relevant institution of the DPRK detained American citizen Kim Hak Song on May 6 under the law of the DPRK on suspension of his hostile acts against it KCNA said DPRK is short for Democratic People's Republic of Korea, North Korea's official name. It says a uh, third U.S. citizen, Kim Sang-dok, who's associated with the same school, was detained in late April for hostile acts, according to the North's official media. The U.S. State Department saying it's aware of the reported detention. A quote from a State Department official, The security of U.S. citizens is one of the department's highest priorities. When a U.S. citizen is reported to be detained in North Korea, we work with the Swedish embassy in Pyongyang. Not entirely surprising news there. Of course, going to North Korea is a pretty big risk. From what I know, they occasionally open up uh, and and occasionally close their tourism uh, for Americans. And if you go, you better obey the rules. There are a couple good documentaries of people going there. 
And of course, they're sneaking footage and all these other things, saying you know all the while saying you're not supposed to. Looking at a few other articles here. There's one in the LA Times. I didn't read this article yet, but I caught my eye and I set it aside. Teenage boy killed by San Diego police after pointing a BB gun at officers called 9-11-911 moments earlier. The 911 call caller asked Please to check on a 15-year-old boy standing outside of Torrey Pines High School. This is uh, this is from the Los Angeles Times. I guess it's uh, I'm guessing California somewhere. Could be wrong. I don't see a city. Unless Torrey Pines is a city. The uh, boy was wearing a gray shirt and black pants, had a medium build, and was not armed, the caller said. It was about 3.30 a.m. Saturday morning, an unusual time for someone to be at the school. Located in a wealthy San Diego community, a few miles from the scenic Pacific coastline and world-famous Torrey Pines Golf Course. About a minute later, two San Diego police officers arrived at the school and spotted the boy. As soon as they got out of their cars, a boy pulled out what looked like a handgun from his waistband and pointed it at one of the officers, according to the according to a San Diego Police Department statement. He ignored commands to drop the weapon and walked toward the officer. The news release said the two officers began or again shouted at him to drop the weapon. When he did not, they opened fire. He was shot multiple times and later died at a hospital. The 911 caller police discovered was the boy himself. The gun was a BB gun. It says the article continues. The boy was a student at the high school and lived in the neighborhood. Lieutenant Mike Holden, who is supervising the homicide investigation, said it's too early to label the boy's death as suicide by cop. The shooting unfolded in a similar fashion as others. Or as other incidents where a person wishing to end his own life lures police officers into doing the job. In Los Angeles last October, 16-year-old Daniel Enrique Perez called 911 to report a man with a gun matching his own description. After he pointed a realistic-looking replica weapon at Los Angeles police officers, one of the officers fatally shot him. Teenager left his family a farewell note leading investigators to believe he had a desire to end his own life. And staying on a law enforcement type topic, the article on Breitbart, another Breitbart article for tonight, Check announces his plan to run for sheriff in 2020. NBA Hall of Fame Shaquille O'Neal announced the plans. Uh, his yeah, he plans on running for sheriff in 2020. In 2020, I plan on running for sheriff. Shaq told Atlanta's NBC affiliate WXIA. This is not about politics for me. He added, "This is something I always wanted to do. It's about bringing people closer together. You know, when I was coming up, people loved and respected the police, the deputies, and I want to be one of those, or the one to bring that back." especially in the community I serve. 
the 15-time NBA All-Star, said, He's a perfect fit for the job because he can relate to anyone. Quote, I'm a guy that speaks all languages. I can throw on a suit and have a conversation with Bill Gates. I can go in the hood and talk to the homies and talk to the children, Shaq explained. He was unsure yet where he would run. He could run for sheriff in Henry County, Georgia, where he's a resident. And where the incumbent is set up for re-election in 2020. And it says another option for Shaq is in Florida, where he also has residency. He could establish new residency somewhere else and run in the location. So that wouldn't be... It wouldn't be his first dabble in, in law enforcement. <clears throat> Looking at Wikipedia right now. It says uh, O'Neill maintained a high level of interest in the workings of police departments and became personally involved with, in law enforcement. O'Neill went through the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Reserve Academy and became a reserve officer with Los Angeles Port Police. He appeared in a commercial for ESPN and or in Miami police garb, climbing a tree to rescue LSU's costumed mascot, Mike the Tiger. 2005, he was given honorary, honorary U.S. Deputy Marshal title, named the spokesman for the Safe Surfing Foundation. Uh, let's see what else. Trained to be a Miami Beach Reserve Officer. Uh, December 8th, 2005, he was sworn in but elected for a private ceremony to avoid distracting attention from the other officers. He seemed a $1 per year salary in this capacity. Let's see, it says shortly thereafter in Miami, O'Neill witnessed a hate crime. It says assaulting a man while calling out homophobic slurs called Miami-Dade police, describing the suspect and helping police over his cell phone. September 2006, O'Neill took part in a raid in a home in rural Bedford County, Virginia. He had been made, named, had made an honorary deputy by local sheriffs. 2016, December 2016, O'Neill was sworn in as Sheriff's Deputy in Jonesboro, Georgia, as part of Clayton County. O'Neill holds the county record for of tallest Sheriff's Deputy, according to Wikipedia. And then it goes on to more his music career, Shaq Diesel, acting. Now it even talks about that video game. Shaq Fu. I remember when that came out. I don't think it was a good game. If you really, really like Shaq, you might like that game. It's like a Street Fighter 2 Mortal Kombat kind of game. So I thought one of my friends might have had that actually, or rented it one time. Couldn't remember if I played if I was playing that or not <clears throat> when that was out. Let's see, Hero Sports Bar customer fatally shoots gunman who just killed an uh, employee. 
And that is an article on uh, from Inside Edition found on Yahoo News Aggregator. And it begins saying, A scene of both tragedy and heroism unfolded in Texas. On Wednesday, when cops say a man walked into a sports bar and fatally shot an employee, but before the suspect could get away, an armed patron of Arlington's Zona Calente Sports Bar reportedly drew his own weapon and opened fire on the gunman, killing him. Cops did not clarify whether a third person who was also injured was a customer or employee of the bar. The person was reportedly injured by shattered glass. Better than a bullet wound, like the uh, murderer got, and the and the initial victim. What cops said, however, was that the quick draw customer may have saved lives. Which reminds me, uh, you know, a lot of people point out mass shootings in the United States, and they say, well, one is a concealed. Um, carrier when is a law-abiding citizen ever stopped one of these mass shootings well if you shoot the guy dead before he can create a mass shooting you, you yeah so i mean there's pretty much no way to tell how many mass shootings were stopped by a law-abiding citizen with a gun because you don't know the motive of the person or what they plan to do after they make an initial murder or two This man was obviously crazy enough to walk into an establishment in front of witnesses and shoot an employee. Obviously, I don't think that this person was thinking that they were just going to continue the rest of their life as normal. May have even been planning on shooting police officers trying to arrest them police on Thursday reportedly identified the suspect as 48 year old James Jones of Grand Prairie the customer who cops say had a license to carry a concealed weapons had been dining with his wife when he saw the initial shooting in a statement Arlington police said the customer was armed with a handgun and engaged the shooter by firing his weapon towards the suspect striking him the suspect was pronounced deceased at the scene. It's too early to determine a motive or uh, on or whether the suspect knew the employee. This employee murdered. And um, there is a statement from the murdered employee's sister confirming the death. I'm talking about later posting. The funeral information. Alright, well, wrapping things up here. For the last live episode of Caldwell Madison Review, episode 62. Last chance to call in. I don't think you will. I don't think I... <laughs> I probably nobody listening. Um, but if you are, 602-753-3005. 602-753-3005. Even if you don't have anything to say. Just call up and uh, hang up on me when I answer. That's all I need. Let's see. The 43 people who might run against Trump in 2020, the 2020 presidential election could feature the 
most crowded dem Democratic primaries in decades, blah, 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 blah. Um, the list is more interesting than the what the article has to say here, but this is on the Hill by Lisa Hagan. And uh, a lot of these, this article is, well, this list is kind of annoying anyway because they list people who are not going to run. People that are saying they're not going to run, but I guess they just like to put them in, in there anyway. And some who, of which are pretty old, but the list has Joe Biden, who's 74 already, so I don't know about that. And Bernie Sanders is 75, so see, these guys running in their late 70s would be oh, pretty interesting. Uh, and not likely. And they got uh uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, 67, or many people know her as Pocahontas. A few names that I don't know. Here's an interesting one. Facebook CEO and founder Mike Mark Zuckerberg. And it says Zuckerberg, 32, who also co-founded an immigration advocacy organization, created some buzz when he said he'll visit all 50 states this year. I guess visiting 50 states means you might be running for president in 2020. Uh, Cory Broker, his name's on there. I think he made some headlines in the last year or two for something I don't remember. Uh, let's see. Andrew Cuomo, New York governor, age 59. Says he hired two fundraisers from Florida, saying he could be considering a presidential run. They mentioned Martin O'Malley again. It says uh, O'Malley 54 didn't gain much traction in his 2016 run, but he's already testing the waters again. A political action committee affiliated with him polled Democratic caucus voters in Iowa, and he visited New Hampshire in April. Tim Kaine made the list, who says he ruled out voting, running for president or vice president in 2020 after the election, but, you know, the article puts him in there anyway. Well, I guess because a politician's word isn't worth much. Al Franken's on the list. He's 65. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, 55. Mark Cuban. Article says, The billionaire businessman and Shark Tank star frequently clashed with Trump in 2016 and endorsed Clinton. Cuban, 58, said, We will see well, whether he runs for president. And here's another stupid name on the list. I'm not saying the name is stupid, but the reason the reason they put uh, her on the list is stupid, I guess. Former First Lady Michelle Obama, and it says the former First Lady proved a form, uh, formidable campaigner for Clinton in 2016, but Obama 53 and others close to her said she won't run for elected office. So why put her on the list? Uh, next, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> the 
Wrestler and star of the Fast and Furious film franchise has flirted with running for office. A registered Republican, Johnson 45, spoke at the party's convention in two, uh, 2000. But documentary filmmaker Michael Moore urged him to run. One potential political ally, Warren, who has described herself as a fan of Johnson's HBO show Ballers. Okay. California Governor Jerry uh, Jerry Brown is on this list. This list on the Hill. 79. That's pretty old to run for president. He'll be 83. If he can run, I think Ron Paul can still run. Uh, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey, 63, who endorsed Clinton, is frequently floated... Or president, but she says she will never run. Well, they're on the list anyway. Uh, Russ Feingold from Wisconsin. I don't think he get traction. He's tried that before, and he couldn't even get back in uh, the state house. Howard Dean, sixty-eight. Everybody knows his run in two thousand four. And they, Al Gore also made the list, 69. Talking, touching on his loss from the 2000 presidential election. Jim Webb's on the list. And, uh, quite a few other names, but none that really stick out. Uh, another news over the weekend is, you know, the whole Stephen Colbert thing. People are pointing out that his anti-Trump rant was rant was homophobic because he called said the only thing Trump's mouth is good for is a uh, Putin's cock holster. So I guess the uh, the good news out of that is at least they're holding uh, people on the left to the same standard. You know the people who I like to outrage. I imagine if Rush Limbaugh used the term cock holster on President Obama, uh, there would there would be some headlines revolving around that. Uh, how about this article? Joe Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski are engaged. NBC confirms. So there are two familiar faces on NBC News. Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski are engaged. An NBC spokesperson confirmed to Yahoo News on Thursday. This is last Thursday. Engagement of the Morning Joe co-host first reported by New York Post, page 6. So, it says Scarborough, 54, got down on one knee and proposed at the scenic bar Bellini at a hotel Ducap, Eden Rock, and Antibes, which has a breathtaking moonlit outdoor terrace overlooking Mediterranean Sea, the paper said. So, I guess they're a thing. Let's see, Scorboros and Brzezinski's romance reportedly began last year following Brzezinski's divorce from 
James Hoffer, her husband of 23 years. Scarborough, a former Florida congressman, has been married twice before. Most recently to Susan Warren, former aide to former, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, whom he split in 2013. Siski has two children. Scarborough has four. Let's see. And while the first couple of fake news has, this is a quote, I guess, mostly kept their relationship quiet, they recently opened up an interview with a Hollywood reporter. We have a crackling on-air chemistry, Scarborough told the publication, and crackling off-air chemistry, too. So, some uh, insider stuff going on there at NBC. Human Resources does not recommend in-company dating. That's what I would imagine, anyway. I don't think they'll stop it. But that would be funny if they got into a husband and wife fight on the air. And I think I'm going to end the show. I don't have anything special to say for the last live show. Other than I'm looking forward to doing more prepared shows in the future. I don't even know 100% of what I'm going to do. I might either do something like this where I just sit down for an hour or so and give a briefing on articles or I might do shorter uh, uh, episodes rather on um, one or two topics. We'll see, but I'm taking the rest of the week off in celebration of the new upload model for the show and uh I'll do uh I'll do a uh, show for next week unless I really get the urge to upload something we'll see this has been Caldwell Madison Review episode 62 for Monday May 8th, 2017. And uh, we'll hope to catch you next time for episode 63. So until then, uh, take care and uh, have yourself a great weekend.